But before we dig into God's word, and if you have your Bible, you can turn or click to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we'll be jumping into the word of God here in a moment. While you're turning there, I just want to bring an announcement. Many of you maybe are already aware of this because of some email correspondence and some social media posts that we began to send out to you last week. And by the way, if you didn't receive that email or see those social media posts, we want to encourage you. Give us your information. We would love to be able to keep you apprised of everything that's going on at Rev City. Go like or follow whatever on whatever social media platform you use the most, Rev City Church, Rev City Youth, Rev City Kids. Our social media team does an amazing job. Scriptures and devotionals and highlights and encouragements that come into your uh, life and through your social media th or email all throughout the week. So Hopefully many of you have already uh, seen or heard something that really has recently begun to develop and have traction. In fact, just very recently in our eldership, the Lord began to speak to us and encourage us about this. And I want to share with you today that the Lord has began to encourage us in our eldership to begin to make the plans and to solicit the interest from parents and from educators to help us begin to, to prepare to launch an elementary school here at Rev City Church. And here's the thing, here's what I want to say, is that um, I have a tremendous appreciation and admiration, honor, and respect for educators. Whether or not, yeah, come on, that's, whether or not you're in, the, in a public school setting, in a private school setting, or homeschool setting, people that invest their life and give up their life to educate and equip young people for success, I mean, they're, they're, that's, that's a place that's worthy of honor and appreciation. And here's the thing, as we are being challenged to, to prepare the plans and to begin to step into this, uh, we recognize and understand there is a call for us to engage and be involved in the culture and in the community. And so we are not removing ourselves from the equation. In fact, I believe we need to do a better job as a church at highlighting, presenting, equipping, challenging, and rallying around believers who will say yes to step up and serve in the school board, who will say yes to step up and serve in the commission. And so, yeah, come on, get, if you're going to clap, give the Lord a clap for that. I, here's the point. We're not trying to build a fortress of holy solitude here. We want to be engaged. We want to be salt. We want to be light. But here is what we believe the Lord has begun to, to speak to us. And that is that while these children are at the youngest formative ages, and, and in light of everything that is happening in our culture that is beginning to make its way into the public school system, where there maybe has always been kind of a difference of values or, or there's been, it's, been, it's obviously secular, and, and, and I understand that, but it's moving beyond that to where now there are actually some agendas and some things that are going beyond just a difference of beliefs to an actual indoctrination of some of our kids. And, and whether you believe that or not, that's what we believe that we are seeing as we look around in our culture, and we believe that part of our response, again, we're not disengaging. Some of us need to engage and serve and, and continue to teach or administrate or say yes to become a candidate for the election, whatever that looks like. We need to engage. 
Because we're called to transform the spiritual atmosphere of our community. But what we began to sense the Lord prompt our hearts is to begin to create an atmosphere that can be unapologetically Christ-centered and faith-based. To begin to to begin to educate in an atmosphere that has a high expectation for achievement, where we really challenge kids to achieve and we begin to train them even at the earliest of ages to begin to understand God has a plan and a purpose for their life and we begin to help them to see that they are called to be a leader and a difference maker and whatever it is that God eventually prepares and shapes and molds them to launch into in life. We wanna create that type of an atmosphere we want to create an atmosphere that is Bible-based. We want to create an atmosphere that shields some of those young, formative minds from some of those agendas. We want to create an atmosphere that causes those kids to be able to launch into the world, whether that's at fourth grade or fifth grade or eighth grade or whatever. And we're just, here's, here's a value of our church. If you've been around, you've heard me say it before, and it's written into the values of our church. One of those values is we dream big and we start small. And so we'll trust the Lord for what the future looks like, whether we add a grade every year or we build a building or whatever that looks like. That's for him to lead us into. But the pathway to the new, the next, and the more of God is always faithfulness with the now of God. And what we believe he's encouraged us with now is this vision, this opportunity to step out and launch this atmosphere for education for K through third. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. And many of you have already maybe seen the information, and it's been pretty amazing, actually, the depth of response and interest from parents in the church and outside in the community. But if you're a parent of a K through third grade student, or you're a grandparent, or you have a friend or an extended family member here in Lawrence that you believe would, or in the surrounding area that you believe would benefit or be excited about being a part, or even just getting more information about this, would you go quickly and fill out our parent interest form? You can find it at revcity.com school. And I also want to encourage you if you are an educator. And I know that contracts have been signed and the, the, the ship is moving forward for the fall. But, you know, I, I, I just trust that the Lord is doing something. And when the Lord begins to bring a vision, he has a way of bringing provision. And the greatest provision that we have need of right now is for educators who would say, I want to be a part of teaching and raising and educating kids in an atmosphere that's unapologetically Christian and faith-based. And so if that's you, we want to hear from you. And we're taking applications and preparing to, to, uh, to engage with educators to begin to fill the positions that are necessary for us to launch the, the, the school. And here's the thing is the timing of the launch will largely be dependent on our ability to staff it with qualified, committed Christian educators. So if that's you, we want to hear from you. If you have a friend or an extended family member or a friend or someone that you know, make them aware of it. Have them get in touch with us. They can also go to revcity.com school. There's a, there's a teacher interest form and an application that are there that they can file. And one last thing, and that's this, that our heart is and our hope is, and eventually we will hire full-time, long-term teachers into those positions. But to allow us to launch this, I want to speak to people that maybe you once were a teacher, you're retired, or maybe you've been a homeschool mom and your kids are your empty nester now, or, or, or somehow, some way, you've had a passion for education, and you might be hearing this and thinking, well, 10 years ago, I might have been interested in it, but maybe God would stir your heart to come alongside us and just help us for a season to pioneer and launch this, whether it was part-time or a short season or one semester or something. So if that's you, you might not be interested in a long-term, full-time, ongoing position, but there's something that you Say, I could help us to pioneer this in some way, form, or fashion. We want to hear from you as well. So can we pray over this? And, and here's the thing is, again, I want to go back and just reiterate. 
Um, we believe that our kids need to be raised up to, to rightfully divide, discern good from evil and be prepared to be salt and light in the world, in the world, but not of the world. But we believe part of the way that we can help to prepare them to do that is when they're in the youngest formative ages, begin to educate them and equip them in an atmosphere that once again is unapologetically Christ-centered and faith-based. So can, would you pray uh, with us? And we're gonna pray right now over this vision. And then in an ongoing way, would you pray for the elders and the leaders and the people who are engaging with this, that God would give us wisdom, that God would give us provision, that God would make a way. How many of you know that the things that seem impossible, because this is a tall task. And especially to jump into and try to kind of see it happen on short notice, it's a tall task, but the things that seem impossible with man are possible with God. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for what you're stirring us to do, Lord. We just present it before you, um, Lord, and ask that your will be done, God. We pray, Lord, that you would stir the hearts of the people, Lord. We pray that you would, in, fa in fact, and indeed give us wisdom, Lord, about exactly what you're calling us to do and how to do it, God, in a way that's pleasing to you in a way that partners with parents, Lord, to educate our children to know you and to know who you are and to know who you've called them to be and become and to excel and achieve, Lord, in every area academically and spiritually, Lord, and begin to apprehend the leadership, grace and gift and purpose that you've placed upon their life, Lord, that we really would be about in our children's ministry and in the Christian school, Lord, that we would be about equipping and educating kids to become world changers for Christ. Modern day Daniels, who live in a culture that is opposing God and calling people to resist God and, and turn from God, Lord, but who will be so convinced and so committed and so bold that they will take a stand, Lord, and they would garner positions of influence and they would be used of God to begin to lead others to see and know who God is, that he's a God who loves and a God who cares and a God who has hope and a faith for their future, Father, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we once again, we just say, let your will be done, Lord. We'll give our all, we'll give our best, Lord, but we're trusting you, God, to breathe upon this and bring about the desired results that you have in your heart for these children and these families and this community in Jesus' name. And come on, all God's people said, amen, hey, amen, amen, amen. Put your hands together for the Lord. And again, we love to hear from you. And let's dig into God's word this morning. If you have your Bible with you this morning, if you haven't already, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to continue, actually I'm going to land our series that we've been in for the last few weeks called God's Prescription. And the big idea is this, that in the world we live in, in the culture that we reside in, there are increasing and varying opinions or prescriptions about how to do life about how to do education, about how to do relationships, about how to do sexuality, about how to do marriage and family, about how to manage finances, increasing and varying opinions. And in the midst of all that, God is calling us back to his word and to say, Lord, what really matters to us or should matter to us because we are Christ followers is what God's word has to say about every area of life. What's God's prescription for marriage? What's God's prescription for peace? What's God's prescription for purpose and for power? What's God's prescription for any area of life that matters to God and thus should matter to us? And today I want to encourage you with something, and I know I say this all the time. You're going to just have to get used to it. I really believe that this message, <laughs> if you'll grab a hold of it, it's one of the messages that can be one of the most far-reaching and impactful messages to your life as a disciple. And you need to know that Jesus came Gave his life and shed his blood and died on that cross and went to that tomb and went to Hades and got the keys and gave you the authority and gave you forgiveness and gave you hope and gave you a new life to do so much more than just make you a casual church attender. He came to make you a disciple, a Christ follower, a kingdom building, spirit filled, 
Bible knowing and preaching and declaring person, man, or woman of God. And so this message, what I'm about to dig into with us today, is one of the things that if you will grab a hold of it, if you will take it with you, if you'll begin to walk it out, I believe almost more than any other message, and again, I know I say that often, but hopefully when you come to church, you want the preacher to really have a conviction about what he's preaching every week. If you'll grab a hold of this, it will bring a renewal, a refreshing, and a, and a newness to your relationship with God and your personal faith in a way like almost nothing else will. And today, I wanna to talk to you about God's prescription for prayer, for prayer. That prayer matters to God, and prayer is not a religious obligation. Prayer is an opportunity and an invitation from a good heavenly father who wants to relate to his children, who wants to hear from you and know what you're going through and up against, and he wants to be a part of the answer and the solution, the strength, the hope, the faith, whatever it is that you need. And God's, God's heart for every man, every woman, every young adult in this room joining us online is that you would begin to, in a new way or a fresh way, begin to discover a dynamic, enjoyable, personal prayer life with God. Now, here's the thing. How many of you know that, that maintaining, that initiating, maintaining or sustaining and enjoying an ongoing prayer life can be challenging? Let me see your hands. Can be challenging. I mean, come on, I'm raising my hand. I'm not just trying to get you to raise your hands. It can be challenging. It can be challenging. And, and, and almost every hand went up in the room. The ones that didn't are probably on social media or you're just a bold-faced liar, you know? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's challenging to initiate, to maintain or sustain and enjoy an ongoing daily prayer life. Here's why, because I say it all the time. And anywhere in God's kingdom where there's power, potential, or promise, there's opposition. There's opposition. And so there's many things that keep people from really entering into a, a, a dynamic, personal, enjoyable prayer life with God. Maybe you, you just don't know how to do it. You feel intimidated. It's like, I, I, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't have the language for it. Uh, maybe there's a, a scheme of guilt or shame or condemnation. You say, if, because God does know what, where I've been and what I've done and who I've been with and this and that and the other, he doesn't really care to hear from me. And I'm telling you, all these things are the ways that the enemy lies and deceives to keep the children of God from entering into and enjoying a dynamic daily prayer life because that's the heart of God. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear the good, the bad, the ugly, the in, and all the things in between that you might think are indifferent, they matter to God. And he says, this is an invitation, not an obligation. And God gives us a, a very clear prescription for prayer in the, in the word of God, and we're going to dig into it today. You know, I, recently, um, we, um, we have four kids, and we're foster parents, and so every now and then we'll have another. In fact, right now, we have a fifth child that's with us, and you'll see him. He's a little guy. He's, you'll see him running around the church, and I, I literally mean running. He's a ball of energy, you know, and, and so our oldest kid, though, he, he's, he's bypassed me. He's a couple inches taller than me, and he's about to get his license, and the other day, the driving instructor had, had come by and picked him up and taken him out. They were on the highway and they were driving around, you know, and they came out, came back two hours later. And I, I happened to be walking out to get in my truck to come to the church. And, and they pulled up and Aaron got out of the car and the guy got out and went around to take the wheel. And I just, I saw it and I thought, oh my goodness, our son is about to drive. And the other thing I thought is, when you become a driving instructor, do you immediately call and increase your life insurance? I mean, can you imagine with some of these kids how much of a white-knuckle experience that must be? It's like, okay, we're going to merge onto K-10 or I-70 right here. It's like, woo, man. 
So our son is about to need a vehicle, and here's what I've been doing. I've been looking at Craigslist and Facebook, and I'm looking for a used vehicle. And how many know that the things that mattered to me when I was 16 in a vehicle have changed now that I'm the father of a 16-year-old? <laughs> I mean, really, I'm looking for something different than I wanted. When I mean, you know, it's like, how much does it cost to insure it? How safe is it? This and that and the other. So I'm looking at, at features of vehicles. And, and it might seem a little silly or trivial, but the Lord really challenged me with a question. He said, and again, as I'm looking shopping at vehicles for our son, he, he said, if your spiritual life was a vehicle, what part or accessory or feature of that vehicle would your prayer life be? And I thought, what kind of a question is that, God? <laughs> but then I continued to just meditate on it, and the Lord began to speak to me. He said, would it be the emergency flashers? Are you just going about life full speed ahead and you only think about praying to God whenever you get stuck, stranded, or in a ditch? And that's where you go to prayer? It's like the emergency flasher of your faith or of your life? Or is your prayer like the, the rear view mirror of your life where you only go to God to clean up the messes that you've just come out of? And to just kind of get it covered with God so that then once you feel like you've covered it enough with God, you can just kind of go back to life. Or is your prayer life like the back seat of the vehicle where you, you want some people along the journey and in the ride, along for the ride, praying for you? You know it matters and you know it's valuable, but you just, you're fine with relegating it to the people in the back seat that are along for the journey with you while you just continue to drive ahead. And by the way, young, young adults, hear me. God wants you to have and enjoy a dynamic personal prayer life right now. It's not for the elders and the deacons and the Sunday school teachers and the older generation of your church. Today, Lash, God wants you to begin to engage in a dynamic personal prayer life. And we're about to dig into how you can do that. That it's a relational conversation with God. It's you sharing the hopes, the dreams, the needs, the challenges, the wants, the, 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 the errors and the mistakes, the doubts and the fears with God. He's a, he's a father who desires to hear from his children. We're about to dig into that. What would your, if you were honest with yourself, what would your prayer life be? What accessory, what part of the vehicle? If your spiritual life was a vehicle, would it be the emergency flashers? Would it, would it be the rear view mirror? Because here's God's heart. God's heart is that it would be the windshield, the lens through which you see your future in faith. That because I know that I can go boldly before the throne of grace and I have a God who's with me and for me, who's already saved me out of my life and he's with me and will never leave me or forsake me, I see my future prayerfully through the lens of faith. Is it the GPS system of your car? Come on, who's grateful for GPS in your car or on your device or whatever? How many of you remember those big old atlases that we used to have in the back seat? How many of you remember going online and printing out the maps off of MapQuest? You know, I mean, I'm, da I'm dating myself pretty bad here. I'm, probably some of my own kids are like, what? You know, like, I remember going online with the dial-up and the noise that that would make, you know, and waiting and waiting and waiting and going to AOL.com and then typing in MapQuest and then you would print out the maps, you know, to go to the place, and you'll be juggling the thing, you know, and, and even before, and that, that was advanced compared to the old State Farm insurance, sorry to give State Farm, Clint, sorry to give State Farm an advertisement there, but that's what we had all the, all the time growing up as a kid, and the, every year they would send you a giant atlas, you know, that was like this big, anyone remember that, you know, and, and so really when we'd hit the road to go somewhere, we would pull out the, the atlas and we would look at it. God, God wants prayer to be the GPS of your life. God hasn't left you alone or stranded or isolated to try to figure out life on your own. 
He, he wants you to, to hit your knees before him and he wants you to present your hopes, your dreams, your challenges, your wants, the doubts, the fears, the uncertainties of your future before him. And he wants to begin to speak to you in a way that begins to give you comfort and peace to begin to move forward in faith towards his very best good and pl good plans and future for your life. He wants it to be directional. He wants it to be navigational. He wants to, if you'll get on your knees in prayer, he wants to begin to help you see the roadblocks and the traffic jams and the construction sites and all the things that would cause unnecessary delay or distraction or, or, or disappointment in your journey of faith. But if you were honest with yourself, what would, what would your prayer life be akin to? Is it more of the, I mean, I feel like most of us, maybe it's the emergency flasher of our faith. We are just, we're good, we're living life until the diagnosis comes, until the financial crisis hits, until whatever it is, and then it's like, we go to prayer. If that's you, today God wants to shift that in you and for you. Is it the, the engine of your life that's powering your way forward? And giving you boldness and strength and confidence, those are just a few of the things that the Bible says clearly that we apprehend and begin to walk in when we begin to live a life of prayer. Is it the air conditioner of your life? Because when you begin to pray over every area of your life, the atmosphere over your heart and mind begins to shift. Maybe it's hot over the atmosphere of your life because of anxiety or anger or fear and you begin to present that thing before God and the atmosphere begins to shift as the, the breezes of God begin to blow over your heart and your mind and over that situation, giving you hope, giving you grace, giving you faith, giving you courage to begin to move forward again. Maybe there's a, a, a spiritual coldness that you begin to experience because you've drifted from God. And I'm so thankful that through prayer, through prayer, you can hit your knees and in a simple way just say, God, I'm sorry, I've drifted from you. I've been busy, I've been distracted, I've been prideful, whatever it was that's caused me to drift from you and not be daily encountering you and looking to you and hoping in you and trusting in you and honoring you and worshiping you and thanking you for who you are and what you've done in my life. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. And that simple prayer right there in that moment on your knees in prayer as you're driving across town, wherever it is, we're about to get into that. That simple prayer can be the moment in time that takes you from spiritual deadness and coldness to a heart that's once again on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so now let me back up and just ask it one more time. And I want you to really be willing to be honest with yourself. Come on, when we get real with God is a lot of times when we really begin to move forward in God. If we're just putting on our religious mask and kind of our church face or whatever, and we're just kind of listening but not doing, I mean, that's a, rep, that's a recipe for staying stuck in God. And we're not staying stuck. We're moving forward. God's calling you forward. As a disciple, as a Christ follower, he, Jesus, did not come to give his life and shed his blood to make you a casual church attender. He came to make you a disciple, a follower of Christ who walks in and experiences and enjoys a dynamic personal prayer life. So if your spiritual life was a vehicle... And those things that I just mentioned, or maybe just a few things, maybe even as I was mentioning those things, the flashers and the rearview mirror and the, and the windshield and the motor and the AC, maybe there's something else that God's shown you that it, it, it's akin to in your life. But if you were honest with yourself, if you were honest with yourself, how would you describe your personal prayer life? Today, I believe that what God wants to do is remind you or reveal to you some things that would cause you to go to a whole nother place of receiving and enjoying and walking in and releasing everything that God has in his heart for you when he established prayer as a part of the relational aspect of a relationship with him.
So here's what we're going to dig into. God's prescription for prayer can be found in the Lord's Prayer. And it's actually probably better described as the disciples' prayer because the Lord's Prayer, as we'll see in a moment, or as you already know if you're familiar with it, includes the, the request to forgive us of our sins. And how many of you know Jesus was without sin? So it's really, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer. And if you could actually go find maybe something that would be better described as the Lord's Prayer, if you go to John 17, the high priestly prayer, where Jesus is praying to the Father on behalf of you and I. But in this, the Lord's, what we call the Lord's Prayer, it's the Lord's response to the disciples who, it's in, Luke, or it's in Matthew 6 and it's in Luke 11. And in Luke 11, it's actually more specific. The disciples say, teach us how to pray. And this is the Lord's response. And so this is the pattern for how to pray. This is, this is Jesus himself responding to the heart and the desire of the disciples of the New Testament when they said, Lord, would you help us to learn how to pray in a way that is pleasing and effective? So here's what I want us to do. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer, then we're going to unpack it as a pattern for how we can pray in an ongoing way. I want us to do this. Can we read it and pray it together this morning as a church family? as fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. And would you be willing to stand to your feet as we pray it together today? We're gonna pray it from the King James Version because that's the version that I learned it in as a child. And I, So we're gonna start in verse nine of Matthew chapter six. I'm gonna read the first few words and then when I get to our Father, that's your cue to jump in and let's begin to pray this together this morning, okay? So here we go, let's pray this and let's not just say it or recite it, but let's pray it with some fresh faith today, knowing that this is the pattern, the heart of God for how we should pray. All right, so after this manner, therefore, so Jesus is saying, in this way, pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Come on, someone ought to say amen again. And come on, put your hands together. and You can be seated. This is the pattern. This is the prescription for how to pray. It's no coincidence and it's no accident that it starts this way, our Father. Our Father. Because prayer is the heart of a good heavenly Father who desires to relate to and be connected to every single one of his precious sons and daughters. And there's a lot of ways that Jesus could have unpacked this for us in that very moment. Jesus, teach us how to pray. And there's a lot of things that were, are true about God that he could have put there. Sovereign ruler, creator of the universe, righteous judge, but it's by no accident, in fact, it's divine design that the way he wants you to relate to God is through the filter of a father. Because he is all those things. Creator, master, judge, sustainer of the universe who created it all and holds it in the palm of his hand. But if you fail to see the relationship that God has invited you to through the lens of a father, you'll never completely walk in the fullness of what God desires for you. And it's complicated because many of us on this side of eternity have some issues because of the fact that every one of us, even if you had a father who was a good man, who knew God and served God and raised you up, and some of us had, I had that blessing, a father who was a first-generation believer, who was seeking after and serving God and raising my brother and I up to be disciples, I had the blessing of that. 
And, and maybe you didn't have that or maybe you had something in between or something way far on the other side of the pendulum where maybe you had an abusive or hard or distant or authoritarian father figure in your life that has skewed and affected your ability to see God as a good father. But Jesus, when he had the opportunity to teach us how to pray, which is relational conversation with God, he, he started it off. And, the, and the, the first thing that is said scripturally and especially in this instance, because the red letter words, it's Jesus talking, is setting the precedent for everything that follows. And he says, everything that I'm about to teach you needs to flow through this. You are approaching God as your father. He's first a father. He's first a father. And he's a good father who desires to, to enter into your life in a way that begins to bring healing and stability and reconciliation and restoration to whatever father wound you may have in your life because of the fact, again, it's just a fact, Every one of us, even, even the, the, the ones of us who had the most amazing, faith-filled, God-serving, God-fearing fathers, we had imperfect parents. And if you have kids, newsflash, you're an imperfect parent. The enemy is constantly using our earthly experiences to try to hinder us from walking in heaven's realities. From coming and, and trying to cause us to think that because of what we've experienced on this side of eternity, that God must not really love you or care for you. And I'm telling you, the enemy is a liar. In fact, did you know that the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies? And, and this, is, this, is, this is interesting. This is pretty powerful. It's the only place in the Bible that where, the, where, where, where Satan, this passage where Satan is described as a, as a father, he's the father of lies. Here's the thing, he, he, it's the only place where he's creative. Everywhere else in life, he's taking what God has done and he's perverting it, he's manipulating it, he's twisting it and distorting it to try to deceive you or get you off track. But the Bible says he's actually the father of lies because Jesus and God did not create lies. This is something that came out of, it's the only place and the only way in your life where he's gonna be creative. And here's why it's important to know that because there's gonna be some times where the enemy comes and speaks something into your ear that is fully and entirely a lie. It's not the truth about God or you or your future. But he's so clever and so creative, he's the father of lies, that he'll actually, in the midst of speaking the thing to your heart or your mind again, that ultimately you'll discover is not true about God or yourself or your future or that person or whatever. He's so clever and he's so good because he's the father of lies, he'll actually present evidence to go along with the lie. Remember when Joseph... Remember when his brothers took Joseph, they were jealous of Joseph, and they took Joseph, and they, and they threw him in the pit, and they sold him into slavery. You remember what they did? They went back to Joseph's father, and they said, Joseph is dead. And it, was it true? But remember what they had with them, the bloody coat of many colors. So good, so clever at lying to God's people that oftentimes he'll even present evidence to support the lie. Joseph wasn't really dead. But the evidence pointed to it. What in your life? Where in your life? Where in your marriage? Where in your relationship with God has the enemy come and he's lied to you and he's even presented evidence, but ultimately at some day you'll look back and you'll discover that, that, that Joseph wasn't really dead. That God really was there with you. That God really was gonna see you through. That God really didn't cause the thing that God really still has a place and a hope and a heart for you and for your family and for your future. The prescription for prayer is initiated with our Father. Our Father. 
He wants to know you. He wants to know you. He wants to know you. He wants a relationship with you. He did not come to establish another religion. He came to rescue you back into a place of relationship. Our Father, I'm so grateful that it starts with our Father. Lord, teach me how to pray. Okay, you want to pray? You're going to have to learn how to relate to God as your Father. I think it's also powerful that it says our Father, not my Father. And actually, as you read through, as we just prayed it together, there are eight plural pronouns in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, lead us. Us, us, us. And you know why it's powerfully important, I think, to really grasp it's not just coincidental or something that is kind of just, just that just kind of happened to be the way. It's because God is wanting to underline right here that you are not alone. You are a part of a spiritual family. And that he's a father of a family. Ephesians 3, verse 14 says this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. He's a father. He wants you to know him as father. He's made you part of a family. And isn't it awesome that as we pray that prayer that we're not, I mean, I just think it's, it's just powerful that everything that God is doing and calling us to is trying to break the mold of selfishness off of our lives. Even as we're praying the Lord's Prayer, you're not just praying it for yourself. I'm, when I pray it, I'm praying it for you. When you're praying it, you're praying it for me. When we pray it, we're praying it for the body of Christ right here at Rev City Church and all around the world. Our Father who art in heaven, give us, lead us, deliver us. He's a father and you're part of a family. It says, hallowed be thy name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy, be thy name. It reminds me of a story that I heard one time about a little guy that had gone to visit grandma and had come home and they were having family dinner and they, and let's just call him little Johnny. And they said, Johnny, would you like to say grace over the meal tonight? And Johnny said, sure, I'll do it. And, and so everyone bowed their heads and clasped their hands as there was, was their custom. And, and, the, and the little tag, little Johnny, he said, dear Harold, thank you for this food and for our family and for my friends and be with people who are struggling around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. And the whole family said amen and a couple seconds went by and everyone was kind of like, what is going on here? And one of the parents said, Johnny, you just prayed, dear Harold, can you tell us why you called God Harold? And he said, oh yeah, sure, I, I could tell you because I was at grandma's last weekend and I heard her praying, our Father who art in heaven, Harold be your name. It's not Harold, Johnny, it's Hallowed. Or Hallowed, which is similar to blessed or blessed. It's the same word, just different ways to say it. But here's what it means. It means sanctified or set apart from all things profane. But that's what we recognize that God is. How many know that there's a reverence for God that needs to be restored to the church and to the world? And that's what it's establishing. It's saying, you approach me as father, but then I'm father first, but then you also recognize the grandeur and the beauty and the splendor and the awe of who I am. I'm completely set apart from everything profane. But catch this, not from the people who do profane things. Because when Jesus came, he dined and he fellowshiped and he ate with sinners he came and he shed his blood so that now, even though I am sinful, and the Bible says, if you think with, that you're without sin, you're deceiving yourself, for all have fallen short of God's standard and sin. 
And I'm so grateful that God is set apart from profane, profane things, but through the cross of Jesus Christ, he made a way for people who have done profane things to be brought back into a relationship with him. That's the message of the gospel. And that's the invitation of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is powerful. And again, remember the context of what we're digging through here. Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach me how to pray in a way that's pleasing to you, in a way that's powerful and effective. This is the Lord's response and reply to that question, that petition, that request. And so he's teaching us how to pray. This is more than just some religious thing to be on a refrigerator magnet or crocheted on a pillow. It's the prescription for how to pray. And he says, pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in where? In heaven. Here's what it does for you and I. It establishes the standard for which, in, in which, towards which we are to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, on this earth, in this city, in this church, in our nation, in Lawrence, Kansas, where LFK means one thing today, but we're redeeming it and saying now it means Lawrence for the kingdom of God. Your will be done on earth, in this place, in this moment, just like it is in heaven. God didn't just come. He doesn't want you to just pray for some modified, slightly better Christian existence. He didn't come to just modify bad behavior. He came to destroy and defeat the works of the enemy and rescue sons and daughters back into a place of life-giving, full, abundant relationship with him. And he says, when you pray, you pray bold prayers. You pray towards the standard of heaven. Man, you don't want to email me or text me and ask me to offer up a little prayer for you. Say a little prayer, send some thoughts. Because that's not the standard that Jesus has called me as a disciple to pray. I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray boldly that the way that God's heart is in heaven for your marriage or your health or your family or your future, that that's the very thing that you experience. And I'm going to declare it boldly. Because I know that Jesus has given me all authority. He's given me the keys to the kingdom of God. And he's raising the standard. Come on, as a person of God, as a man of God, as a woman of God, as a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a leader, as a servant, whatever it is, every role of life, in whatever area there's an interest that you might present before God, pray a big, bold prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth in the natural realm that we currently exist as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. The kingdom is not a series or system of rules and regulations. The Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace. That's the standard to pray to in every area of your life. And who will grab a hold of it today? Can you imagine what would change and shift in our city, in our church, in our nation, if the people of God would once again begin to pray bold, audacious prayers not asking amiss, but asking according to God's will, not using this for our own gain or whatever, but I mean fervently praying for our families and our marriages and our church and our city and our nation and our schools. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done right here in Lawrence. It's our heart. And here's the thing, Jesus gave you permission to pray that way. Moving on, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Remember, we're diving into God's prescription for prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. There's three things I want to unpack from this, and I'll move quickly. The first one is give. He says give. Give, not earn, not release, not compensate. He says give. He said, you want to pray in a way that's pleasing and effective to me? He said, you approach me and you ask me to give. 
Because God's the greatest giver of all time and he loves blessing and giving things to his kids. Spiritual, practical, natural, everything in between, he loves to be a giver to his children. Do you know that giving is the verb of the Bible? In fact, because most people might say, well, Pastor T, are you sure about that? Let's see. Maybe it's love. But love is actually more better described as the more better. I just said more better. (laughs) Maybe I need a Christian school. (laughs) Love is actually more aptly described as the noun of the Bible because the Bible says God is love. But John 3.16 says God so loved the world that he gave if God had loved but he hadn't given, we'd still be lost in our sin. Because giving is the outward expression of love. God is the greatest giver of all time. So Jesus is saying, pray this way. Give us this day. Not, we're not begging. We're not pleading. We're just trusting and receiving. Woo, that's good. That, that almost rhymed. I ought to say that again. We're not begging. We're not begging. We're not begging. We're not pleading. We're just trusting and receiving. He says, give us, you want to, and again, this is Jesus saying, this is how you approach me in prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Stop trying to earn or deserve what God is looking to freely give. This day, he says this day, and God has called you to have every day a prayer life that's dynamic, powerful, personal, and significant to your life. This day, he said, Give us this day. And, and here's the thing that I see all across Christianity, all throughout the church, is that we have anemic Christians who are struggling, dry, weary, wounded, barely making it, scratching along. And here's the thing, it's because we're trying to live in daily victory with a weekly dispensation or visitation from God. And I'm telling you, I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to gather in the church of, of God and with God's people and worship together and hear the teaching and the instruction of God's word. But if this is all you do and you miss the opportunity tomorrow morning or tomorrow midday or tomorrow as you're commuting to work to also check in with God and say, God, I'm, I thank you for what you've already done. I thank you for this day. It belongs to you. It's the day that you have made. I thank you for everything that lies before me today, the good, the bad, the challenges, the opportunities, the struggles, the things that are unforeseen. I thank you that all those things, Lord, you're with me, you're for me, this day, Lord, this day, today, Lord, I thank you, Lord, I'm reminding myself that you are with me and for me, and I thank you for what I need to represent you well and what I need to be a blessing to others. I thank you that this day, Lord, you would give me my daily bread. I'm just telling you, it's hard to live a daily life of victory if every week or every month or every year, you cannot do it. The heart of God is for daily. Listen, this is, a, this is a theme throughout the Bible. You remember in the Old Testament when God was delivering the people of Israel out of bondage and out from the strong hand of Pharaoh and he was leading them from the place of captivity and bondage forward towards the place of promise. It's a prophetic picture of what he's done in our life with the shed blood, the Passover lamb who rescued us out of a place of bondage and captivity and now he's leading us towards a place of promise both on this side of eternity and the place for which, from which we'll rule and reign forevermore with him. And along the way, you remember how God provided for his people daily bread. And let me just read it. Exodus 16, verse 4 is where we find it. And it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day. Say every day. That I may test them. Really? They're testing us? Whether they will walk in my law or not. Here's the test that we pass when we decide whether we're going to pray every day. Who do I trust 
for what I need today. I've heard it said this way, it stuck with me, a day without prayer is a boast against God. I know that's strong, but a day without prayer is a boast against God because it's basically me, whether it's intentionally or passively saying, I got this. I got this. I'm glad that you're there, God, in case I do get in a ditch or get a flat tire, I'll hit my emergency signal. But until that happens, I got this. A day without prayer is a boast against God. He says right there that it's a test every day. And the way we pass is we say, God, today, ooh, I need you in my life. I need you. I need you. I can't be the dad. I can't lead the family. I can't deal with the people at work. I can't face the, the mountain that I'm up against. I cannot do it in my own strength. Well, I can, but it would kill me. And the measure of success or breakthrough that I can experience would pale in comparison to what I could experience if I would draw my hope and my strength from you every day. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Did you know that this is the only part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus repeats for emphasis? You might think, well, we just prayed it together. I don't remember him repeating it. That's because we've extracted through verse 13 as the Lord's Prayer. But if you read on, right after it says, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever, amen, the very next verse and its continual conversation, we have ascribed the verse numbers to this. The very next verse is verse 14. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever, amen. That's verse 13. Here's verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ooh, that's, that's, ooh. Our, did, that, did Jesus really say that, Pastor T? He did right there. Because he understood if you're going to come and you're going to approach God, he understands. If you're going to pray in a way that's effective and powerful and enjoyable for you, you are going to have to do two things. You're going to have to daily present your own shortcomings and failures and faults before God in a way that daily allows you to experience the fresh mercy, the new mercy that the Bible says is new every day in a way that allows you to leave that thing in the past, leave that mistake yesterday and begin to experience and move forward today to everything that God has for you. And he said, you're also gonna have to be willing to leave unforgiveness behind. As you forgive others, so the Lord will forgive you. As doesn't mean in the process of time, it means in the similar way. He says, if you're gonna hold on to grudges and you're gonna make people earn or deserve the forgiveness that God has called you to give them, he said, you can expect to get kind of the same thing back from God, but he said, if you'll understand that freely you've received and now you've, you're called to freely give, including forgiveness, who's holding on today to the weight of something from your past, something that's been done to you? I mean, real unforeseen, unexpected, unfortunate hurts or pains or wounds that they really did to you. And you're holding on to it. And it's weighing you down and it's doing what God is trying to keep from happening right here. It's really just complicating your relationship with God. It's keeping you from hearing and receiving. It's stealing and robbing your joy and your peace. And today, today the Lord says, you got to release it. You got to release it. You got to give them to me. You got to give that thing to me. You got to forgive them. 
And I'm telling you, real, it's not just in situations where they've come and made it right or where enough time's passed. I mean, right now, the pain is real. They really did it to you. They really said it to you. And I've said it before, it bears repeating, when you forgive them, it does not make them right. It just makes you free. From the weight of carrying that unforgiveness around and from the burden of making it right. And here's the thing is, you were not built or designed to carry that weight on your shoulders. Give it to Jesus. Shift the burden for everything, for making it right and for resolving it and reconciling it. I mean, just release them to God. Say, Lord, what they did, it really hurt. I didn't expect it. I didn't foresee it, Lord, but I'm releasing them to you and I'm thanking you that as I forgive them, I'm reminded of all the things and all the ways that you've forgiven me. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. James 1.3 says real clearly that God doesn't tempt anyone to sin. So what we know here is that Jesus is saying in the area where there's a temptation, ask God to give you the grace and the strength to begin to step out of that place. And too many times, so many times, the people of God, largely because of the magnitude and just the amazing depth of the grace of God, we, we stand too close to the fire of sin in our life that God is intending to lead us out of one foot on this side of the fence and one foot on the other side of the fence, wanting to do what's right but still tied to our past or the thing that has become a stronghold in our life. And God says, pray this way. God, would you lead me out of that place where I'm tempted to sin and where I'm, I'm up against a place where... I, I, I don't want to do it, but I continually go to that place or go to that person or go to that mindset. Lord, would you lead me out of that place? Would you lead me out of that place so that I can begin to run the race no longer weighed down by that thing that's not your best and it's not blessed? Lead me out of that place of temptation. I love it when my kids, when I see our kids playing in the yard playing in the yard with the playground that I built and the, and the slide and the, the little swimming pool, the little kiddie pool that I put the water in and put the little, little, play, little slide that slides into it. I love to see them running around and my wife and I stay back there. But if I ever look over and I see that the gate is propped open, I quickly look and I see them taking count. I'm counting heads. And if the two-year-old or the three-year-old is not there in the, in the yard and I see that the gate is open, my heart leaps and I jump up and I run towards the gate and I run towards the front yard and, and I run down the hill and I, I grab them up because I love to see them play behind the safety of the boundaries that we've built. And who today is playing in the street? God wants you to enjoy life. God wants you to enjoy your sexuality. God wants you to enjoy financial blessing. God wants you to enjoy those things in the parameters and the boundaries and the blessings of what he's prescribed. He loves to see you playing. Oh, I can't move off of that. Who am I talking to? Who am I preaching to? You're playing in the street. God's trying to get your attention. God's trying to get your attention. And if you'll turn, if you'll run into his arms, I feel, I, I feel like he's chasing you down. He wants to sweep you up into his arms and get you back to the place of safety and provision and blessing that he wants to rest upon your marriage, your health, your family, whatever it is. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. God wants to be your source of protection. 
recently I've been praying this often. It kind of started as we were entering into the pandemic and everything else that was going on. I would say, Lord, would you be the source of protection and direction and provision for me and for my family and for our church family and for every man and woman and every family, every couple, every, every single mom, Lord, every, every family. Would you be our source of protection and direction and provision? And, and I started just praying that. And I've even texted people that and I've emailed people back that. I'm praying for you that God would be in this season your source of protection and direction and provision. And I started to just think about it. You know, that's actually a pretty good three-word summary of the Lord's Prayer. Give us our daily bread, that's provision. Lead us, that's direction. Deliver us, that's protection. God wants to be your source of protection. You know, every Sunday, we have grateful for the security guys that serve. There's a plan that they've developed and prepared, and they pray over it. There's things in motion. There's things that we, we do. There's things that we're responsible to do. It's stewardship. But in the midst of all that, Pastor Mike and Eddie can tell you every Sunday morning when we gather to pray over this time, this service, over you and your family, we say, God, would you come and would you speak to people? Would you encourage people? Would you heal people, deliver people, restore people? One of the things we pray every week is we say, God, would you be the protector over this place, this property, these people? We'll give you our all. We'll give you our best. We've got some plans in place, Lord, but we trust you to be the ultimate protector of our lives, of this gathering, of this place. God, your ultimate source of protection. Would you stand to your feet? Now, I want us to read Psalm 91. I want us to read Psalm 91, and I want us to read it together. And there's a lot going on in our culture. A lot of places where there could be fear or apprehension or anxiety, cultural unrest, social unrest. There's a real virus. There's surge in cases and all that. And I know there's political things and all that. And different. Wherever you fall on it, here's what I want to encourage you with today. Regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum of all those, Jesus is the ultimate source of your protection, direction, and provision. He must be. I mean... I'm going to go here for a second. I'm not making a political statement. I'm not. I'm making an observation that makes a spiritual point. Look at your neighbor and just tell him he's not getting political here. Some of you are like, oh, shucks, this would have been entertaining. You know, I got my popcorn ready. Here's what science is now telling us. You can get the vaccine and still get the virus. I'm not making a political statement. Here's what I'm saying is be careful what you put your trust in. Any doctor, any medicine, any prescription that this world has to offer has a measure of impact, of impact and effect to bring hope, to bring peace, to bring security to your life. Only God can be the ultimate source of protection, direction, and provision for your life. Someone ought to say amen. Let's, let's read this. Let's read this together. Psalm 91. I'm running a little bit behind. Who will give me just a few more minutes? 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. Let's read this together. Psalm 91, verse 1. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save me from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover me with his feathers, and under his wings I will find refuge. His faithfulness will be my shield and rampart. 
I will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near me. Amen, amen. Someone ought to say amen and clap and shout to God. All right, I gotta move quick, I gotta move quick. If you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, this is your moment. This is your moment. Maybe you've once known God and served God, you've drifted from him. Maybe you've never put your hope, faith, and trust in Jesus and received the forgiveness of your sins. If that's you, you're joining us online right now, don't delay, right now, just put your hand high in the sky towards heaven. Say, that's me, I need, I need a fresh start. I need a fresh relationship with God. I need forgiveness. If you're joining us online, I wanna encourage you that even if you're by yourself, I think it's powerfully important that you would pull over to the side of the road or stand up off your couch and lift your hand high towards heaven. Say, Lord, that's me, that's me. Here's what we're gonna do. You can lower your hand if you raised it. We're gonna pray this prayer with you for a couple of reasons. We do it every week. Quickly to show those people who are responding in this room and online that there's a church family that wants to come alongside you, encourage you, equip you, strengthen you, help you, cry with you, disciple you to help you begin growing in your fresh faith in Jesus. And two, we do it because it reminds us even as we're growing in our faith, and come on, we're growing in our faith. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm growing in my faith. Even as we're growing in our faith, we realize that whatever God could cause us to grow in our faith towards, it's always, always, always gonna be built on the foundation of God's grace. So come on, let's pray this prayer with those precious people who respond today. Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a savior. Thank you for sending Jesus. Pay the price I could not pay to make a way I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you that life. I give you my trust. Because of Jesus, come on, say it. I will never be the same. And then put your hands together with all of heaven. Hey, let's worship the Lord one more time together. Let's worship him one more time together, and then Amity will come and dismiss you.